Good morning, Redemption Church. My name is John, and I'm a member here. Our scripture reading this morning is Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, through Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. Verse 11. For I would, have no, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is God's word for us today. Let's pray together now as we look to God's word. God, we ask for your help today 
in making sense of these stories that Paul shares, would they become more than stories, but in them would we see an incredible and very powerful spiritual truth that is meant to shape us and change us today. It's meant to shape us and change us not only as individuals, but also together as a local church. And we pray, God, that you would give us the eyes to see that and and not only to be educated about this letter and what it means, but to be changed and transformed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this is always a little risky to do, but I'm going to ask for some church participation to get started here. I, I, um, I want you guys to try and finish this sentence for me, if you could, okay? You can't please... Yay, all right, that worked better than I thought it might. Um, you can't please everyone, right? Sometimes, uh, no matter what we say or do, someone will be upset with us as a result And for that reason, in those cases at least, uh, we don't get to choose if we upset someone. The best we can do is just decide who we're upsetting. (laughs) And if you change your mind, if we say something different or do the opposite thing, we're really just changing the group that will be upset with us. I imagine we've all experienced this in some way. There's a lot of wisdom to it, right? You, You can't please everyone. But why is that? Uh, And and how, how do we know when that's true? And in particular, why can't we please everyone and be servants of Christ? This is basically the question Paul is after in our passage today. The last thing he said in last week's passage, if you remember, he, he was really getting at the idea that just one gospel and that God has here. And if we veer from it, we're in big trouble. We're even deserting God. And the last thing he said sort of hinting as to why they might veer from this gospel, the last thing he said is, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So you see his point? And then the first thing he says here in our passage is, for, in other words, here's why we cannot both please men and be servants of Christ. I'm getting ready to explain that. So even if you struggled with that passage last week, if you really wrestled with this, wow, one gospel, that seems really exclusive, Um, If that made you uncomfortable, well, Paul senses that that might be the case, and he wants to kind of help you see and understand why it's the case. So we should listen up carefully here. Uh, So far in this series, we have seen Paul is writing this letter to local churches in Galatia because they had turned from the gospel, he says, and they did that by gathering Gentiles into the wrong family in the wrong way. It went really well before, so let's just try and do this again, all right? What was the problem? They were gathering Gentiles into the... In the... That's great. That's great. Great work. I want us to have that phrase in our minds throughout this series. I think it helps to clarify and shed light on what's really going on here. In particular, we've seen a group of troublemaking missionaries came along, and they convinced these churches to gather Gentiles into the nation of Israel, wrong family, by circumcising them, wrong way, rather than gathering these Gentiles into the church of Jesus Christ, right family, uh, by faith and faith alone in Christ, right way. By doing this, Paul has already told us they had deserted God. They had turned from the gospel. And so here we see why they basically can't have it both ways why they can't try and please these missionaries who are insisting on this and also be servants of Christ. Now, one of the challenges of interpreting a letter like this one 
is that we only have one side of the argument. We only have Paul's side of the argument. Now, it seems clear some of the problems he's trying to address and correct here. That's obvious. But he doesn't always come right out and say what he's correcting or why he's correcting it in the way he is, which, which can kind of be a little confusing, right? Uh, especially when we come to these personal stories. Uh, it's easy to read these stories and just wonder, why is he talking about this? Why is he explaining this? And the truth is, some scholars even disagree, actually, about the details of what were going on behind the scenes, and even on Paul's motivation for including these stories. So we just kind of have to do the best we can to piece that together based on what we know from history and what we see in this letter, but we kind of have to do that if we want to make sense of what Paul's saying here. And so for that reason, in our passage today, I'm going to argue that chances are These missionaries that were troubling the Galatian churches, they were claiming to have more authority than Paul because they somehow were connected with local churches in Jerusalem. Now, these churches in Jerusalem would have been the most Jewish churches on earth. And this would have been where the original apostles were even leaders. And so these missionaries, the causing trouble, would have said, oh, that's where we get our gospel from. They agree with us. And this meant, in their minds, their gospel carried more weight than Paul's because the most important leaders in God's entire family agreed with them. They thought that Gentiles had to be circumcised into the nation of Israel to be part of God's family, at least according to these missionaries. Paul's going to argue here, first, that's just not true. (laughs) Because those apostles in Jerusalem actually did know his gospel, and they did affirm it. But even if they hadn't, he says, right away in verse 11, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And from here, Paul starts to tell these three separate stories that are all meant to work together, I'm convinced, to help us see why. We cannot both please everyone and be servants of Christ. And through these three stories, Paul is going to argue that God is gathering a new kind of family that includes new people, which leads to a new problem. And once we see how these three stories are working together, I'm convinced we will be able to see why we cannot please everyone and be servants of Christ. So first, let's look at this new family that Paul is telling us about. And in particular, he is saying that the father is using his son to gather all nations into a new kind of family. I'm going to say that again because it's really important we kind of process this. The father is using the son to gather all nations into a new kind of family. So from chapter 1, verse 11 to the end of chapter 1, Paul begins by explaining what God had done to redeem him by the grace of King Jesus and to sort of set him straight about God's family and who really is in it. And if you're not familiar with Paul's conversion story, it really is pretty remarkable. He used to be a Jewish Pharisee, an authoritative teacher of the law. And back then when he was, he was very upset about all this gospel stuff. 
In fact, he was on his way to kill the members of actual local churches who were gathering Gentiles into God's family by the power of this gospel thing. And it was when he was on his way to do that when Christ himself appeared to Paul and asked him, this is very important, why are you persecuting me, Jesus says. That's really important. In doing this, Jesus was opening Paul's eyes to the mystery of his gospel. In that moment, Paul realized, wait a minute, I do not have a place in God's family just because I'm a Jew. I have to have faith in this king, the son of God, Jesus Christ. If I'm going to get into the family, I need his grace. And therefore, not only should he, of course, stop killing the members of these local churches, but in that moment, he became one. And as a result, rather than going to destroy these local churches in the name of God's family, the nation of Israel... This God of Israel was calling him to preach this good news of his son, Jesus Christ, to the Gentiles and to gather them into these churches that he was just on his way to kill. You see all the reversals that were happening in Paul's story? In an instant, God completely flipped Paul's paradigm on its head as to who God's family really is and how you get into it. At first, Paul says here, in his former life in Judaism, which is significant, he no longer identifies with that life. In that former life, he says, he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers, right? This would be ancient Israelites like like Abraham, Father Abraham that we read about in Genesis. He was extremely zealous for their traditions until he encountered the God who set him apart before He was born into any family by any father and who called him this God in a different way, by grace. In other words, Paul used to think he was part of God's family because he had the right earthly fathers and he was zealous for their traditions. That is until the God of, of that family revealed his real son to Paul, the risen king, Jesus Christ, who asked him uh, point blank, hey, uh, Why are you killing the members of the family we're actually trying to create here? Paul, not not only are the members of those churches part of our heavenly family, they are me, he says. (laughs) That experience made all the pieces of Paul's life and all the truths of God's word click into focus right then and there. He was truly convicted of his sin. He repented of his religious pride. And he trusted in King Jesus and King Jesus alone. And in Paul's mind, again, this experience led to a new life as part of a new family. That was very different, by the way, than the family he always assumed that God was creating. But notice, he was so certain of this new life and so certain of this new family that he did not need to consult with anyone else to confirm it all. God and his own, God's own son had already revealed it to him. He did not feel obligated to go to Jerusalem so that the apostles could make him an apostle because God himself had just made him an apostle. And he did it, Paul says, so that he might preach Christ among 
the Gentiles, that is specifically among uncircumcised people, among people who never could get into the family until Christ came to make it so. That's who he goes to. But notice, after three years, Paul did go up to Jerusalem for a brief visit. And he says, I only saw two apostles, Cephas, which is just Peter's Jewish name. He's doing something there. He's kind of, I think that's a little bit of a dig by referring to him as his Jewish name. You'll see why. And James, who is Jesus' own earthly brother, he says. So he's talking about Cephas, the guy who thinks he's in the family because he's a Jew sometimes, which we'll see. And then Jesus' actual brother, the one who came from the same womb, right? If there's anyone who could get into God's family by being related to the same person, it might be James. But by the time Paul left this brief visit, he explains, he was still unknown in person to these local churches in Judea. Most of them did not meet him. The only thing they knew was this. It says, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Now, this is really interesting because, again, if, if the missionaries who were troubling the Galatians claimed to have authority from Jerusalem that Paul didn't have, well, if his gospel was out of step with theirs, they would not be happy, right, to hear that he was gathering Gentiles into God's family without circumcising them. They would have either insisted that he did circumcise them or they would have run him out of town because he had a false gospel. But they did neither of those things. Instead, Paul says, they glorified God because of me. In other words, they were so happy to hear that I left my life as a Pharisee to serve Christ as an apostle to the uncircumcised world, even though I had no intention of circumcising anyone. That's my best sense of what's going on here. And again, not every scholar agrees with me on that, but I do think it helps us to understand why Paul keeps emphasizing over and over that both Jews and Gentiles are part of the same family. Throughout the rest of this passage, he is trying to prove that this new family God is creating is supposed to include new people, which is the next part, part two. New people in this family, in particular, what he means here is that Gentiles don't have to join God's old covenant family in order to get into the new one. They don't have to become Jews to become members of these churches. Now, there's a way of reading Paul's account here that almost assumes he doesn't really care if he has any connection with the local churches in Jerusalem at all. And I don't think that's the right way to read it. I don't think that's the case, because after 14 years, he even goes back, and he even says he went back to make sure that he was not or had not run in vain. So it mattered to Paul that he was gathering Gentiles into the same family in the same way as these apostles were, these men who actually walked with Christ. And to prove to the Galatians that he was, next he explains that on the second trip back, he even brought his uncircumcised Gentile friend Titus with him. And even though he was not a Jew, even though he was a Greek, Paul explains he was not forced to be circumcised. But then he explains, even back then, there was a lot of pressure for him to be circumcised. Did you catch this? And this pressure came from, he calls, false brothers, people who claimed to be in the family but were not really 
in the family. These brothers who slipped into these local churches, Paul says, to spy on their freedom that they had in Christ and to sort of drag them back into slavery. And again, they were doing all of those things, those really bad things, by insisting Gentiles must be circumcised. And notice how Paul and the other members of the church in Jerusalem responded to this. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says, to them, to these false brothers, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. And here's why. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Do you see that? In other words, he's saying, if we would have caved And we would have let these false brothers insist that Gentiles be circumcised and become Jews to get into God's family. If we would have caved to them, the gospel itself would have been lost. It would not have been preserved. And so here's the point. He's saying, if if you've been told that these churches in Jerusalem are circumcising Gentiles into the nation of Israel, and somehow that doesn't contradict God's one and only gospel, then, my friends, you have been lied to. And with this in mind, when Paul says that even those who seemed influential added nothing to him, some scholars, again, take that to mean that these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem weren't helpful to Paul, right? As if he's saying, eh, I didn't need them at all. Uh, They were nothing special to me, right? Again, I, I don't think that makes much sense. Instead, what he seems to be saying is that they did not add anything to his gospel or his ministry. They did not add anything to the who or the how of his gospel. In particular, they didn't insist that he circumcise Gentiles, which is why next he says, on the contrary. In other words, not only did they not want me to circumcise Gentiles, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, and then go to verse 9, they perceived the grace that was given to me, And they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. In other words, the apostles are saying to Paul, good, keep going. Keep gathering Gentiles into God's family by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, without circumcising them. And we will keep preaching the gospel to circumcised Jews because they still need to repent and believe in Christ to get into God's real family also, even whether or not they realize it. But notice the apostles did add one thing to Paul's ministry. Look at verse 10. He says, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. In other words, Paul, listen, don't just focus on rich Gentiles. (laughs) When you go and you preach, preach also to lowly Gentiles. Preach to the poor among the Gentiles, which I think is supposed to reiterate and reinforce that this family God is creating by the power of the gospel has nothing to do with our earthly status whatsoever. In fact, the further we are away from God and the more lowly we are in our earthly status, the more glory God will get for redeeming us into this family. Everyone from every nation can be part of these local churches God is creating, no matter how much money they have. And they do not need to do anything, nothing, to get into the families. They don't need to be circumcised. They need simply to trust in Christ and Christ alone. And so again... God is gathering a new family. 
This new family includes new people. And finally, part three, this all leads to a new problem. And that problem is that some people will be very upset about this new family that God is creating. They will. Uh, This is where the whole of this entire account is leading. Paul has been telling us these stories to basically set up this final story to use Peter as an object lesson for us, okay? Before moving on, he tells us one last story about a time when Peter visited the local church in Antioch. Now, Antioch was the first local church ever outside of Judea, and it was made up predominantly of Gentiles. And in this story, when Peter first came to visit God's family there in Antioch, everyone was getting along great. They were all eating together. They were having a great time. And there were no problems in that church until a group showed up from what Paul calls the circumcision party. And then everything changed. Now, there is some debate, even still, about who this circumcision party actually is. Paul doesn't come right out and say, he just calls them the circumcision party. Uh, It may be that they were actually the missionaries who troubled these churches in Galatia. That's possible. Uh, It could be that they were just a different group of Jewish Christians causing the same kind of trouble. It's hard to say. But based on the context, what does seem clear is that they were professing Christians. That's why they were here to visit the church in Antioch and not there to persecute the church in Antioch, right? They're professing Christians, and so this is important. Paul is not writing this letter to oppose Judaism in general. He is writing this letter to oppose professing believers in Christ who were Jewish, who were distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. That matters. That's going to be helpful to understand. And Paul also seems to call this group the circumcision party because they were teaching that Gentile believers had to be circumcised to get into God's family. Those things are fairly uh, sure, okay? Uh, This was almost certainly what led Peter to draw back and to separate himself from his Gentile brothers and sisters in Antioch uh, as soon as these Jewish brothers and sisters showed up to the church. It's because in the Old Testament law, Jews were required, actually, not to share meals with uncircumcised Gentiles. Uh, They There were all kinds of food laws that kept Jews and Gentiles separate in this way so that at that time the world could know who was part of God's covenant family and who was not part of God's covenant family. And these professing professing Jewish Christians were still zealous for those traditions of their fathers. So Peter was afraid that the members of the circumcision party would be very upset if they saw him a Jew, an apostle even, sharing meals with uncircumcised Gentiles in violation of the law, right? He knew that they did not like this idea that Jesus died and rose again to gather Jews and Gentiles into one family, these local churches. No, they wanted Gentiles to join their family, the nation of Israel. And so Peter's goal apparently was to please these men and somehow still to be a servant of Christ. And what we're seeing is you can't. <laughs> you can't do it, which is why Peter opposes him to his face in front of the whole church. Ooh, right? Um, let's pray nobody gets opposed to their face in front of the whole church at the members gathering tonight, right? That would not be a good day. Um, I want you to notice 
that Paul does not just say that this was mean of Peter. He does not just say that this was based in bad theology, although both are almost certainly true. Instead, he says that Peter and the rest of these Jews acted hypocritically. Do you see this? And also led others astray, Paul says, by their hypocrisy. In other words, they were still living under the Old Testament law as if the Old Testament law is what got them into the family. When the truth is, they got into the family by the very same grace that got these Gentiles into the family, and it had to work that way. It was the only way they could get in because no Jew could ever perfectly keep the Old Testament law. My goodness, Peter, you were just breaking it about five minutes ago until these Jews showed up. This is what Paul, I think, is saying. Peter was acting as if the fact that he was Jewish required him to separate himself from the Gentiles that Christ died and rose again to unite him with in the body of Christ. And so here's the point. Even Peter was not able to both please men and be a servant of Christ. By trying to please these men, he was out of step with Christ. And, and here's why it has to work that way. This is the real claim I think Peter, Paul is trying to make here. It's because the gospel that pleases God often displeases many people. This is why we cannot please everyone and be a servant of Christ. Now, the point is not that God wants to displease people. <laughs> Uh, this, that's not the goal here. I want to remind us he is in the process of redeeming all of creation. That's his goal. The point is that men are often displeased by the way he has chosen to redeem his creation. Namely, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They're also displeased even by the family that he is redeeming them into, which is the church. And so, if we want to serve Christ, that means we will need to be willing to offend them. And if we are not willing to offend them, that means we will not be a servant of Christ. Clearly, God is willing to upset many people in order to make his son the king of all nations. And we should be too. Now, this doesn't mean, again, that we look for ways to upset people by being harsh or unchristlike, uh, But it does mean we cannot change this message when it upsets people. We can't, because this message does not belong to people. This message belongs to God himself, and the only true gospel that belongs to God and pleases God often displeases many others. This is what we see as we look at our passage. What I want to do now is just reflect together on three takeaways for this passage for us today as Redemption Church in 2022. And the first takeaway here, the three things we need to know if we want to be servants of Christ. Here's the first one. That the Father does not need our permission to create this new kind of family. He doesn't need it. Now, I want to be really clear about something here. Um, by this new kind of family, I mean actual local churches. Wow, right? Yes, I do. I mean actual local churches like the, one Paul is, like the ones Paul is writing to and like the ones he's writing about in Jerusalem, Judea, and Antioch, and even ours today. We stand in this same line, this same gospel tradition. Now, 
are these churches part of a much bigger, more universal church? Absolutely they are. And do we need to be part of these local churches to be justified from our sins? Technically, no. And it's important we say that. But it's also important to mention that's a really bad question. <laughs> it's a really bad question. This is the body of Christ. And we're talking about membership in it. So, so you know, if my son comes to me and he says, Dad, if I cut my finger off, will it still be a finger? The wise thing to do is not to answer his question, right? The wise thing to do is to hide the knives <laughs> and to get rid of the scissors, right? Uh, sure, buddy, maybe it technically would be, but let's not cut that finger off, right? This is the point. God's new spiritual family does actually exist on earth, and it exists in real local churches that are made up of real people from all different nations who have been made one by repenting of their sins and by trusting in Christ alone to be justified. Think of it this way. If Paul had thought that anybody was just free to be part of this spiritual family, whether their lives were linked together or not in any way, there would have been no reason for him to oppose Peter at all. Uh, Peter could have even just said, Paul, just, just relax here, man. We're all part of the universal church, right? I just don't want to eat with these Gentiles when the Jews are around. What's the big deal. No, no. When we walk out of step with this one new family God is using the gospel to create, then we walk out of step with God and with his gospel. And so here's the point. Ever since God started creating this new kind of family, many people have objected to it. This is not new. It's very, very old. Uh, even though Christ died to redeem all people into the same family in the same way, many have always objected. They've tried to add other ways to be redeemed into God's family so that they could boast about having gotten in themselves. Even though Christ died to tear down the dividing wall of hostility that stood between Israel and the rest of the world and to set all of us free from the demands of the Old Testament law, many people have always tried to sort of rebuild that wall and to draw us back, even in this case, into slavery under the law. Many people have always objected to God's gospel and to the family he's using to create it. And so we have to understand, we will never be able to please all of those people and also please the God of this gospel. And if we try, then before long, we will be out of step with both God and his gospel. This means we need to fight the temptation to insist that to join our local church, people have to trust in Jesus and become like us in some way. They have to, to, to pass God's standard, to meet God's standard, and, you know, a couple of ours as well. As if Redemption Church is for those who trust in Christ and Christ alone and are younger than maybe about 40 or so, right? No. Or if Redemption Church is for those who trust in Christ and make, I don't know, I mean, at least $40,000 a year or something like that, right? No. <laughs> or Redemption Church is for those who trust in Christ and believe in small government in the name of freedom. Or in large government 
in the name of justice? No. <laughs> now, I know none of us would, would ever say these things or probably even think them that clearly, at least. Uh, but we may be tempted to shrink back, won't we? At our fellowship with the older members of our church. Or if we are older, maybe with the younger members of our church. We may be tempted to grumble a little bit if we pray about racialized conflicts. Uh, if we start actively working toward ethnic diversity, oh boy, here we go. As if this is not part of God's plan to redeem all nations into the one same family. We may even be tempted to start looking for a different church if enough people who are different enough from us start to come to this church and join this church, maybe even preach at this church or lead this church. Here's the thing. We can be really honest about this in many ways and for many reasons, some of which are neutral. That would be, and, and it could be really hard. It could, in the same way that it would be really hard for a lifelong Jew to completely rewire their entire understanding of the, Old, of the Old Testament. That would be really hard. So my point is not to say that this would be easy for us or that we will not have tensions in God's family as we seek after this vision, but Paul's point, I'm convinced, is that even if we do, it does not mean that God needs our permission to redeem certain people into this family. If he does it, then we are obligated to love them as brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus Christ. We saw this actually, if you remember that little sermon series we did through Philemon. Uh, what if you are uh, in a time when you own slaves, a slave steals from you, runs away against your will, becomes a Christian, and then wants to come back and visit your church? What does Paul say? Receive him as a brother. Right? The whole point of that series, how the gospel turns a slave into a brother. Only this message can do that. But I want us to see is if we resist this new family that it creates, then like Peter, we will be out of step with the message. Because we're acting like we have a say in who God redeems into it and how he does it. We don't. He's been doing this long before any of us were born. He's going to continue doing it long after us. He'll do it today with or without us. But more importantly, more importantly, he wants to gather all of us into this family in this way to remind us of something very important. And that is number two. There is no person on earth who deserves to be part of this family. Not one. To be true servants of Christ, we have to both agree with that and embrace it for ourselves. Friends, we, I, do not deserve to be a member of this church. I don't. Notice how Paul describes his conversion here. He talks about how he violently tried to destroy God's churches. And then how important he used to be in his tradition. And how zealous he was back then for the traditions of his, fa his fathers. He was not just a Jew. Again, he was a proud Jew. And he thought that all those things made him deserving to be in the family. But, he says, as soon as he met Christ, all of that changed. It, it evaporated. And he even says in, in the book of Philippians that he counted all of that stuff as loss. It's just You could take all that stuff compared to what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ, his Lord. Notice the humility 
Uh, notice the lack of religious pride or, or of, of any pretense whatsoever even. When God revealed this gospel to Paul, he knew he didn't deserve to be part of this family. He knew it. How could he? He was on the way to kill the other members of the family. It's crystal clear if he's going to get into that family, it would only be by grace. And then compare that with Peter's conduct here in Antioch. He shrunk back. He separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of upsetting his Jewish friends. Because he wanted those Jewish friends to know that he deserved to be part of the family. The problem here is not just ethnic pride. The problem is ethnic or religious pride that makes us think we deserve to be part of God's family because of who we are and what we have done, rather than because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And so I want to ask all of us today, do we, in our hearts, in, our, in the depths of who we are, do we feel that we deserve to be part of this family? Church, when we do experience tension within our, our family, within God's family, whether it's with people who are like us or people who are unlike us, uh, when we would rather not embrace this person or that person as our brother or sister, and we are upset that God would let them into the family, we have to remind ourselves we don't deserve to be in it either. It has a way of clarifying things, doesn't it? This is almost the entire point, which is, which is the next point, the last point, third point, is that the Father is redeeming all of us into his family by the grace of his Son. All of us. One family with one way in. And this is why that is. And Paul's going to explain this very, in very good detail next week. We can be justified into this family in one way by faith and only by faith in the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. So, so think of it this way. Jesus is the only member of this family who deserves to be part of the family. He's the only one. And therefore, if we want to get into the family, we have to get in by his merits. We cannot get in by ours. If we try to get in based on who we are or what we've done, we will never get in. We get into God's covenant family because Christ was circumcised, not because we can be. We get into this family because Christ perfectly obeyed that Israelite law for us, not because we can do it. We get into God's family because Christ is on good terms with his father, not because we have the right earthly father. This is what that word grace means, church. It refers to an absolutely free gift that we do nothing to deserve. But when we think that we can create this family, we tend to do it, I want you to see, in ways that serve us, don't we? We don't like this new family God's creating because that family makes much of Christ. See, we want people to join a different family that we could kind of get them into because if they do, that would make much of us. Therefore, we don't want to get into the family for free. We will insist that we pay something or we will avoid the family altogether because those churches and all that, uh, that may be for those people, but it's not for me, right? I want us to see this. It is often our resistance to God's grace that sets us at odds with the rest of his family. It's our resistance to his grace. Why? 
Because if everyone gets into the family for free, then we won't look so special for being rich. (laughs) And if no one has to do anything to get in, then no one will be impressed with all the good works that we do. And if everyone gets in in the same way, then we won't be able to set ourselves apart from them. Do you see that? In our sin, we love the idea of a spiritual family that makes much of us. And in our sin, if we can't find that family, we're not joining any church at all. Meanwhile, grace has a way of leveling the playing field. Leveling the playing field for for everyone of every nation and bringing peace among those people where there once was hostility. But that kind of peace is only possible if all of us admit that we don't deserve to be part of this family. And therefore, we have no right to draw back or separate ourselves from anyone else who God redeems into it by faith in Christ. That is how the gospel that belongs to this God really works. That is the kind of spiritual family only this God could ever create. That is how God intends to glorify himself through the Son who pleases him. And if we are offended or upset by any of it, then that would be our problem. Because God is pleased with the good news of his resurrected Son, no matter how many men are offended by it. So if we want to serve his Son, then we will have to offend them too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message and we thank you for the chance that we have to go and to do something in the physical world today that very powerfully proclaims that this message is true. Help us, God, to honor you by proclaiming our faith together in your son, Jesus Christ, and help us to come alongside these three brothers as they do that uh, in our presence today, in the presence of the whole world, and even before you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.